And we were talking last week about um, even just personal prayer, and it talks about how we go into a private place and pray. And you're like, well, this seems like you're going exactly against what you said last week. Uh, you know, you said that we should get our, a quiet space without people around and seek the Lord, and there's a place for that. And, I mean, let me just remind you, what we're going to look at this morning, Jesus taught, and what we looked at last week, Jesus taught. So there's really two types and two places of prayer. And so one is a private prayer that's between us and the Lord, but there is one that does take place in a public setting as well. And it's not, these aren't the only two types of prayer that we see throughout Scripture. Um, but there are some principles, though, um, you know, that, that are important. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at a couple of verses here. And we've looked at some of these previous weeks. Um, but I, I just want to share some things with you. I'm going to be fairly brief this morning just because we've got a lot going on that we want to get to this morning. I always love to... Um, Anytime that I'm breaking my fast, coming to the... I always love to take communion. I don't know. There's just something special about it. So we're going to do that uh, towards the end of service this morning. But here in Matthew chapter 18, it says this. It says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatsoever you permit on earth will will be permitted in heaven. Now let me read you this out of the Amplified Bible just to add some clarity. He says, I assure you. That whatever you bind, so in other words, whatever you forbid or declare to be improper or unlawful on earth, he says, shall already be bound in heaven. So in other words, we don't get to just go around and say whatever we want and expecting God just to be our errand boy, to be our waiter, to get us what we want. What this is actually saying is that when we bind things, they have to be in agreement with what's already in heaven. In other words, take sickness. Is sickness in heaven? No. It's a, per, it's a place of complete wholeness. So if we have sickness in our body, the Bible says we can actually take authority over that sickness in our body and say, as it is in heaven right now, it's going to be in my life. So it's not just, you know, uh, every desire and whim that we want. What it's saying is that we have to, when we actually uh, get in line with God's word... And exactly what it says here, that whenever we bind things on earth, they should already be bound in heaven. And whatever we loose on earth, it would also be loosed in heaven. So in other words, God's will right now is happening in heaven. There's nothing in heaven that's not God's will. Well, you know, and even when it talks about even loosing here, uh, whatever we loose in heaven, or whatever we loose here, is that which will be released from heaven, right? So, what that means is that, go back to healing. Healing is mine now. I know that healing's in heaven and healing's available for me right now. So, you know, and there may be things in your life and these are things to put to prayer. Not everything is a demonic influence, but sometimes there is demonic influence. Sometimes there are things that the enemy is working against you that are more than just, hey, I caught a, a cold or a sinus little thing because of the change of the weather. You know, I mean, the Bible, I'll give you an example of this. The Bible actually talks about a spirit of infirmity. Well, you can believe God for healing, but you need to deal with that spirit first, right? I mean, I would equate it to, it would be like trying to live for God without getting saved. No, you have to deal with the spiritual issue first so that you, now your life can begin to line up. And that's really what he's talking about here. So jumping back over uh, to the New Living Translation. Verse 18, he says, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So in other words, you can say it this way. Whatever you allow on earth. Because here's here's a principle for you. When Jesus left, what did he tell the disciples? 
I have all have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Right? And what does he turn around and say? And now I give it to you. So if we're not careful, we can be in the mindset that says, well, God fix all my problems. And God looks at us and says, and says I've given you authority. So now you have to stand in that authority and actually pray out what God wants to do in your life. So l- let me say it another way is that God will not do for us what he has given us the ability to do for ourselves. Why? Because it's exactly what it says here. Whatever we permit on earth will be permitted. God will allow what we allow. Because he's given us the ability. He's given us the authority. He's given us the resources to what? To be able to stand in his grace through his ability to implement his purpose and plan that we can see in his will revealed through scripture. But we have a part to play. You know, and so this is something that we have to understand. It goes on here in verse 19. And it says, I also tell you, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything that you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. It says, for where two or three are gathered as my followers, I am there among you. Now let me jump back to the Amplified Bible real quick because it adds something here that I want to, and I, I like how it says it. In verse 19, he says, um, I say to you that if two believers on earth agree, that is, are in one mind and in harmony about anything they ask within the will of God. I don't just get to say, you know, okay, well, I need to grab these three people because I want a new car that I can't afford, but we're going to ask God to give it to me. Well, that first off goes against biblical wisdom. God's not going to tell you to buy a car you can't afford, right? So it's not that I just get to pray for anything. But there are things that are in accordance to God's will. Now you may be believing God for a new car. And you need to pray and ask the Lord. And you may need to get people in agreement with you. Lord, I just thank you that, that I get a good car. I thank you that I'm led by you. That I'm not going to buy a piece of junk that breaks down next week. I'm going to get a good car. You're going to give me you know, a, a good price. I'm not trying to rip people off. I believe as Christians we shouldn't be you know, haggling people to death. Why be, let me just, this is just a side note. I believe as Christians, we ought to live generous lives. doesn't mean that we should get ripped off and we're not people's doormats. But we also, if we have the ability to, ought to walk in generosity. Why? Because my source is not my money anyways. And I would rather people be like, man, you know, I mean, and I've shared this before, but I've actually, and I know of a gentleman that one time went to buy a tractor. And the Lord told him, and I don't know about, I mean, you may not know, tractors are really expensive, especially one this particular size. I mean, we're talking about, you know, new 100,000 plus. I mean, you're talking about a house that somebody drives. And, um, you know, and so he, but he was buying it used and he, you know, needed a tractor for his land, blah, blah, blah. And on the way there, the Lord said, I want you to pay $10,000 more than he's asking. And he said, come again? <laughs> Lord, I, re- I want to remind you that you are a Jewish Lord and, and you, are, you are a negotiator. And, you know, I mean, I mean, there's a reason that we have that term to Jew somebody down, right? But here's the, here's the end of this story, though. He goes and the guy says, he's like, hey, you know, is the tractor what you thought it was? He's like, man, it's exactly what you said. He goes, now, I'm not going to pay you what you're asking. And the guy got all defensive. 
you know, like, oh, no, I got, you know, I'm not cutting off my price. I've got it priced reasonably. I've taken really good care of this thing. And he says, I won't, he goes, I won't pay you a dollar less than $10,000 more than what you're asking. Well, the guy was like totally blown away. He's just like, uh, 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 I mean, what do you really, you spell my name. You're like, that would be my response. And, uh, you know, well, long story short was, is that this particular gentleman that I'm referring to uh, was a minister. And so this man who was selling it, all he knew about ministers were they were super cheap and super stingy. That's all he knew. And so he had actually rejected God and rejected the church because of his prior experiences. And yet God led one of his people to be generous to what? To break a mindset that what somebody had viewed of his people, of the church, and ultimately about God himself. Well, you know, I mean, in the natural, that just doesn't make sense. I want to get a good deal. But here's what I would rather people know. Not that I'm a great negotiator. I would rather people know that I love God and that God works for me. And that God is real. God is alive. I would rather people know that as my testimony. You know, and I'm all about, you know, paying a fair price and I'm not going to get ripped off. But at the same time, my trust is what? In the Lord. So there's nothing wrong um, believing God for things, but it does need to be in line with God's will. That's how I got off all that. But, uh, you know, and so even as it says here, it says that if any two of you agree on anything... That, that, you, that you could ask for it in line with God's will. Well, what's God's will? God's will is revealed through His Word. What is God's will concerning salvation in every person on the planet? That all men would be saved. That's God's will. Well, how do we know that? Because the Bible says. It didn't say that God has a select few chosen people that He likes, that Jesus died for, and the rest of y'all are just out of luck. Sorry. No, it says that Jesus died once and for all for all men. That his sacrifice was the ultimate, permanent atonement for all people for all time. Well, God's will is that all men would be saved, but are all men saved? No. Why? Because it requires something what? It requires, a number one, an acceptance of salvation, but it also is a spiritual condition of our heart. So even though it's God's desire that all men would be saved, not all are saved. Why? Because it requires an agreement. And even as it talks, let me just uh, share a few things with you about this, about these verses is that Jesus said if any two on earth would agree that he would be in the midst of that agreement. Now think about that. There's one thing, and can I pray by myself and get results? Absolutely. Can I pray with other people and get results? Absolutely I can. And I'm going to share some about that. So, um, But it, it actually says that if, you know, even like inside of my marriage relationship, me and Derek can pray, but guess what? It's not me and Derek praying. Why? Because when we come into agreement, what happens? Jesus himself now comes into agreement. I'm going to give you an illustration here in a few minutes about this that I believe will help you. But, so Jesus says he would be in the middle of our agreement to see it come to pass. And and so it says, if any two be on earth, right? How many of you are on earth? So you qualify for this, right? It says, if you agree with another believer as touching anything that lines up with the word of God, he will be there in your midst, Jesus would be in your midst to carry it out. Now, here's the thing. Jesus wants us to be in agreement with the Word of God. Jesus wants us to be in line with the will of God. Jesus says that it will come to pass. The word agreement in the Amplified Bible, and and we read this a few minutes ago, the Amplified says it this way, that we have to agree and harmonize together and make a symphony together. Now, we just, thankfully, were partakers and participants with our praise and worship team. 
Now, it says here that we have to be in harmony or symphony. Now, I'm not a musician and I'm not a singer, but I do know some basic things. I have the ability to sing, just like all of us, right? We all have the ability. I mean, it's pretty, but we can all sing. But here's something that I do know. You can't have harmony by yourself. It requires multiple sounds or multiple voices to have harmony. Like, have you ever heard the term a three-part harmony? Right? You get people that, what do you have? You have a a bass and a a soprano and an alto and tenors. and You've got all these, what is that? That's a vocal range. Right? Well, you know, I mean, like Dara's family, I call them like the Von Trapps or, you know, the Sound of Music. Is that is the Von Trapps Sound of Music people? You know, because they all sing and they all play and, you know. But there's something unique, though, because they're all from the same family. And so when they sing together, it has a very unique sound. Why? Because there's a certain harmony that's made because of their genetics. Right? Now, they all look different, but... When they sing together, it's, it's a, you, you know, have you ever had that where you're like, y'all have to be related? You hear people sing together? And it's just kind of like there's something different about when y'all sing together. And really, that's a kind of a picture of what it's talking about here. It's not just when two people get together and pray about something. It requires uh, harmony or agreement. In other words, you've got to be focused on the same thing. The prayer of agreement is not difficult, but what it does take is some cooperation. I'm not praying with you while thinking about something else. Now, we're coming into agreement on a specific thing in this moment. The other side of this, I believe, when it talks about the prayer of agreement is this, is that you must have your spirit, your mind, and your actions in agreement with the Word of God. So, in other words, you can't just be praying in your spirit, man, saying, well, I know the Bible says, but in your mind, you're going, I don't know about all this. You need to settle it in your mind. God's Word says, this is what it will be. Because your spirit, man, already knows the Word of God is true, Our mind is where we have to get renewed. We have to think differently. Well, the only way to do that is by understanding and knowing the Word of God. So now our spirit man, our soul man, can actually come into agreement. So that's the first place. And you can say it this way, is that we personally have to come in agreement with God. God says He wants me healed. That settles it. Now I can go to Darren and say, I believe God wants me healed. Do you believe God wants me healed? Yes. Okay, we can be in agreement on this. So now, two of us that are in agreement upon something that we see in Scripture can now approach the throne of God. That's what the Bible says, the throne of grace. That's what's available to us. So now we can go and approach who? Our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. And say, Jesus, we see in your word where the Bible says that you took stripes upon your back so that I could be made whole. And we're in agreement. And your word says that when any two or three of us, it doesn't take a lot of people, but it takes a a few people on the same page to be in agreement. And now Jesus gets involved with our prayer to the point, because we're not just, I mean, I'm basing it off of God's word. Saying, God, this is what you've promised me. This is what I see in scripture. And and so, you know, so we come into agreement. Now Jesus gets involved to the point. He says, I'm going to make sure it happens. In other words, it's kind of, I'd say it this way. It's like Jesus' stamp of approval. If you two can get in agreement and you can find it in the word and you can stand upon it, Jesus says, I'll do that. And it's really, you know, and and technically it's not Jesus who does it. He just oversees the work. But it does say that God will answer. The Father will answer. And so we have to be in agreement. And so agreeing spiritually is to agree upon God's word. So you've got to make up your mind that God's word is true and that it will happen. 
James says that we shouldn't doubt. In other words, we shouldn't go back and forth. I don't know if God will. I don't know if God won't. I'm not sure. And it says, if, you, if you're that way and you go back and forth, back, it says you're unstable in every area of your life. And it also says, let not that man believe that he would receive anything from the Lord. So you've got to settle it in your heart. No, this is what the Bible says. And pardon the expression, but come hell or high water. This is what God's word says. Let me say it this way. The waters may rise, but I will not drown because God will make me float. I mean, either that or he's going to make me walk on the water one or the other. So, I mean, however God wants to do that, that's the way he's going to do it. But we have to be in that place to see God's word. So, the keys to the prayer of agreement, which is what we're talking about this morning, is this. Number one, we have to come into agreement with God's word. First and foremost, that's more important. Or I have to agree with what God says first. The second one is we got to come into agreement with each other. You know, I have people that, and this is just kind of my habit, and if you ever call me and say, hey, would you be praying with me concerning, like I just since I've been using this as an example, I'll use it again. I need healing in my body. I can almost guarantee you here's going to be my response. What are you believing for? Are you believing just to get over a cold? Are you believing, you know, where are you at in your faith? I believe that's important. That you can't fake yourself into faith. You got to know, you know, I mean, where you're at in your belief and, where, and really your understanding of Scripture. And so, you know, I'm believing, you know, for, just again, I'll use this in. I'm believing that my doctors are going to find out what's going on. And I'm going to believe that God's going to give them wisdom. And I believe that, you know, that I will get over, that they would find a cure. That may be where your place of faith is, and that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you shouldn't sit at home saying, I'm believing God, I'm believing God, I'm believing God, never going to the doctor, if you're not really in that place of faith. Now, you may have some symptoms in your body. I mean, we have Miss Mary, and many of you have heard her testimony. She had a tumor. They stood and believed God, and the tumor was just gone. Doctors told her it looked like somebody, am I getting this right, that they basically said it looked like that you'd had a surgery or something to that effect. And they said, but they're like, because I think they asked you, did you have surgery or something, didn't they? And, so, and they were, she was like, no. Well, what happened? The Lord had removed that tumor. You know, uh, I mean, even here a while back, Joey had something, a little thing in his throat. We prayed. They called and said, hey, you know, I think Angie may have called or I don't remember the details now. It's been a few months ago. Just had a real, well, I mean, he had to go to Little Rock. Well, we prayed that day. The next day, the doctor looks. They you know, put a scope down there. And they said, well, we can see where something was. But there's nothing there today. Well, what is that? That's the power of agreement of prayer. Now, let me just say, I didn't lay hands on him. I don't even think, I don't even know if they were in town by the time they called. I think they went to the hospital here and got frustrated and said, forget it. We're going to Little Rock. <laughs> and so I think she called on the way out of town or something like that. I don't remember the exact details, but it was something like that. Well, the next morning, you know, I mean, you couldn't even hardly talk, could you? And, um, you know, well, he had something. Don't know what it was, but it was some, I mean, a ball, a mass. I mean, yeah, I mean, they saw something that was there. And they could actually see the remnants of what had been there. Well, what did we do? We simply agreed in prayer. We said, what's the, what is the word of God? Is that he shouldn't have, I mean, you couldn't even drink water, right? Couldn't talk. I mean, you know, kind of scary stuff. But what does the word say? We're the healed of the Lord. That we will stand and declare the works of a mighty God. That's what the Bible says for us. So when we come into agreement, we can pray. 
And we can see healing in our, in our lives. We can see restoration for even broken relationships and, uh, you know, things of that nature. We can believe God in areas of finances. Any promise in Scripture, you have the right to stand in agreement with another believer that God would work on your behalf. And so, here, you know, so you got to come into agreement with God. You've got to come into agreement with each other. Agreement is all, about a, or is all about hearts being unified in prayer and focused on God's Word. This isn't difficult stuff, but it is important. It, it requires focus. We can't casually, you know, I mean, it's kind of like when people say, Hey, be praying for you. You're like, okay, I'll pray for you. And then we kind of forget about praying for people. I used to be really bad about that. So now I, if I don't do it in that very moment, as soon as I get off the phone reply, reply to, I just pray right then. Why? Because life comes and so I've just made it my habit. If I don't just say, hey, let's just pray right now. Yeah. You might surprise a few people if you say that. And be like, oh, I didn't know you'd actually pray for me right now, but sure. <laughs> you know, why not? So let me give you an illustration about this that I believe will help you kind of connect to what, and, and this is, you know, just a very natural example. But how many of you have ever played tug of war? You know, you get two teams on either side of a rope. It's got a little ribbon in the middle, right? Well, here's what I know about tug of war. Number one, you want the biggest guy on your team, right? Because he's going to be your anchor. He's going to be that guy in the back that, hey, the Lord said he'd move mountains, and I've got one, you know. And uh, I got one back here, but he's moving my way. But here's what I know. It doesn't matter how big your team is if you don't work together. Like even in this, let me say it this way because we were talking about harmony. So we're kind of on a musical theme this morning. Let's talk about rhythm. Our band could all be playing the same song at the same tempo. But if they're not hitting the right beat together, it's going to sound like chaos. And we're all going to be like, oh gosh, what is going on? Matt might be playing something back here and Adam's playing something else. And everybody's looking around going, what is going why? Because they're not in rhythm together. They might be playing the same song. But you've got four or five different people all playing different things. and Maybe they're singing the words at a different time. And we're all going to be like, I don't know. I don't know where to clap and try to catch that beat there. Catch that beat. Like, I don't know what to do and I don't know where to sing. And I'm really confused, right? Sometimes I wonder if we confuse God by our prayers. Because we're... Praying one thing and then saying another thing and then praying something else and then saying something else. And God's like, I, I don't know. I'm a little confused. Well, what happens in tug of war, and unfortunately I've been on the wrong side of this, where I had the team with all the big dudes because I recruit to win. I play anything to win. You need to know this about me. If we ever do anything, and I don't care what it is, it could be badminton, which I don't even care about. If I'm playing badminton, I'm going to play to win. That's, just what I say. When I was younger and uh, not quite as redeemed maybe as I am now, I used to make this statement all the time. I'd say, look, God didn't create me to be a loser, so I'm not going to lose. If I'm going to play, I'm playing to win. All right? So, but I can remember, like especially when we used to go to youth camps, we'd always have these things. So, man, I picked my teams well, and I positioned them just right. And I can remember once or twice... And we would have this other team that would come up against us. And we're like, they're middle schoolers. These guys are about to get hosed. This is going to be fun. We're going to drag them all the way to the front gate of the camp. That's what my thought is. So we go one, two, three. And, you know, and they blow their little whistle and we start pulling. Here was the problem. The little guys were all in sync. 
And when they started grabbing, they all did it together and pulled at the same time. Well, my big offensive linemen that I had on my side were not in sync. And so, like, the guy in the back starts pulling, and then the guy at the very front started pulling together, and the guys in the middle didn't quite pull, or maybe they got distracted and, like, you know, butterfly. You know, I don't know, they had a case of ADD or something. But we didn't all pull together. Well, guess what happened? Now, well, let me say this. We might have been pulling, but we weren't together. What happens? We got, I mean, it was like David and Goliath. We got just massacred. And we were left to wallow in our shame. Right? That's kind of like the prayer of agreement. But here's the thing. We've got Jesus as an anchor. The big dude's on our team. But here's the problem. Many times what happens, we're like, God, I want you to work. And we got a hold of that rope. And we're looking back at Jesus. You ready? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. And then the whistle blows and we do that. And we're like, Jesus, I thought you had this. And he's saying, I can't do it by myself. I need you to be in agreement with me. And I need team members. With me. So we get into agreement with God's word. Jesus as our anchor on our rope. And guess what? If we'll stay in sync, we cannot be defeated. That's how the prayer of agreement works. It's just as simple as tug of war. Now here's the good news. We know our enemy. We know his tactics. But it does require us to be focused. It does require us to be in sync together one with another. So let me just give you a few verses from scripture about this because the prayer of agreement is really about unity. It's about having a unified heart. You know, um, we won't turn to these, but I'm just going to mention them. Many of you know these. If you don't, you can go and read them. But in Acts chapter 2, it was the day of Pentecost. Jesus told the disciples, you guys go to Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I like to say it this way because they had no idea what that meant. And Jesus said, you know, like, how will we know when he shows up? And I, I imagine Jesus with a smirk probably says, you'll know. You will know when he shows up. I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit's not a dove. He's not a fire. He's not a wind. Those are symbolic things. But when you don't know how to describe something, you got to use words. So, but he is a person. And he says, hey, you're going to know when the Holy Spirit shows up. Why? Because you will be changed. Now, they didn't know that. Well, I mean, they did. I mean, Jesus said that. One of the things that he said in Acts 1.8 is, hey, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. How do you know when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? Because there's an ability that will come into you that you did not previously have in that moment. But here's what everybody thinks. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that, that Jesus gave the call to go to Jerusalem and wait to 500. It says that there were 120 that actually stuck it out. So 380 people got butterflied. You know, ooh, shiny. They got distracted from what Jesus had told them. But 120 of them were there. And it says that they were all in that room, that upper room. It says they were of one mind, of one heart. Other places say that they were in one accord. In other words, they were unified. Hey, what are we here for? They were all there for one reason. They weren't there to have Jesus appear. They weren't there to see miracles happen. They weren't there to see... You know, any number of things. They were there for one reason. We're waiting on the Holy Spirit. And because they were all in that place together and they were unified in what they were, in a sense, seeking after, the Holy Spirit shows up. 
And we call it the day of Pentecost. For many of us, I mean, this is like, you know, one of the things that signifies God's blessing in our life is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the, the initiation, the initial point where the Holy Spirit gets poured out that now we still get to uh, experience even today. But see, the day of Pentecost had more to do with unity than it did about even their prayer and their worship. See, we can come together corporately and even in our worship time, if we want the presence of God to fall greater in our times of worship, then we all need to get on the same page together. We all need to be glorifying and praising God. It's not just singing songs. It's, it's worship. It's, it's bringing our thanks and our gratitude unto the Lord. We're exalting Him. And when we all get in that place, God's presence will fall even in a greater measure. And so it's important that we know this. Over in Genesis 11, uh, you know, it's the account of the Tower of Babel. And what it is, is that they had, you know, and really, I mean, you can go read this. I believe it's almost positive, I'm pretty certain it's Genesis 11. Um, that, it, that they decided, hey, we're going to build a, a tower that's going to reach to God. In other words, you could say it this way. It was man's attempt to reach God on their own. And the Bible actually says that God called it evil. An evil pursuit. Why? Because they said, God, we don't need you. We're coming to get you on our own. We still do that kind of stuff today. That's why we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Say, quit trying to do that in your own strength. The Bible says that we have to repent from dead works. What does that mean? Stop doing things out of just religious duty. Quit trying to make yourself who God wants you to be. And just step into His grace so that God can now do in us what we can't do. Why? Because those are dead works. Well, that's what they were trying to do. But yet, here was the thing. The Bible says they were of one purpose, one language, and one mind. God comes down to inspect. So they had obviously done more than talking. They had actually started building. Now, to what level? I'm not quite certain, but they were building it. And, and this was God's... Uh, even, even though their intention was, was not good, this was God's uh, evaluation of their effort. He said, these people are of one heart, one mind, one thought. Nothing will be impossible to them, even in their rebellion against me. Now, think about that. That's a powerful statement. God says that nothing would be impossible to a group of people that were even in rebellion to him. So you're taking even God out of the equation because he's obviously not blessing the works of their hand. And he said nothing should be impossible to them. Well, how much more when we have Jesus as our anchor, will nothing be impossible to us? Why? Because we're praying in accordance to God's will, God's word. So, I mean, now I've got Jesus on my side. They were just a bunch of heathen people building a tower. And God says, I got to do something. And of course, he mixed up the languages, created some confusion. So why? So that he could foil their plan. Why? Because he said nothing would be impossible. Now, I, you know, my analytical mind is like, how do you build a, a tower to heaven? How, like, how high does the tower have to be? Like, I don't know. But apparently God thought it important enough that he create a little bit of confusion and change their languages. Well, if that was true in the negative, how much more is that true for us today? As believers, when we come in line with God's word. Deuteronomy 32.30, there's a principle here. Many of you have heard this principle, but I believe that there's a little detail that we've left out sometimes. Is that? Uh, well, let me just read it to you. I'll just read it out of the Amplified because that's the Bible I'm in. 
It says, how could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock, which is a capital R, so we're speaking of the Lord, has sold them and the Lord has given them up. So in other words, you know, you've probably heard this said is that one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. How many of you ever heard that? Is that, hey, there's power in one person praying, but there's more power when two people pray. It's just like in a tug of war. Five people are better than four people. Four people is better than three, right? The more that you can have, the better. But you can't have so many people that you lose unity. And what it says here, and this is important, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put a thousand, or two can put ten thousand to flight. But here's the kicker if God's on your side, just because two people get together and start saying the same thing together, even if they're for a common purpose and a common goal, doesn't guarantee success. But when God is on our side, one can do damage to the kingdom of hell. Two can do greater damage. There are, there are things that, let me say it this way, you know, a couple of weeks ago I gave you the, um, the imagery of a, uh, a, um, a breacher two weeks ago. About the, you know, the police guy with the big old metal ram and wham, they slam it into a door and break out the doorknob and the door goes flying open. If you can get two or three people with you, your breacher gets a lot bigger. The weight and the force behind that prayer can become even greater to punch through the work of the enemy. But you've got to be in agreement. And so this is what we know, is that when we pray, things happen. You ought to say that over yourself until you believe it. When I pray, things are going to happen. When I seek the Lord, He's going to work on my behalf. When I'm sick and I begin to declare the Word of God over my life, I'm praying. My confession is no longer a confession, it's now a prayer that I'm lifting up to the Lord. Father, I thank you that your word says that I'll live and I'll not die. I don't care if they tell me I have cancer. I will live and not die and I will declare the works of a mighty God. And that's, that's my promise. And I'm going to stand in that. And I'm going to believe for that. Lord, I thank you that the, the Bible says that if I'm a giver, if I'm a tither, that all my needs will be met according to your riches in glory. Not my ability, not my aptitude, not my skill set. That my needs would be met by God's ability, not mine. So, Father, I thank you that you're causing your ability in finances to work in my life. Father, I thank you that you've brought me and my spouse together to be a helpmate one to another. That it would actually be well for us. That it would be a blessing for us. That it would increase my life, not decrease my life. That it would bring about peace and joy and comfort in my life, not... Death, dismay, and frustration. You need to be praying those things, saying those things. Like, well, it sure don't look like that. That's why you need faith. I'm going to speak things that aren't as though they are. I've got a lost child, but they're going to walk with the Lord. I've been out of, you know, I haven't talked to a relative in 10 years. The Lord's repairing that. The Lord's going to make a way. I thought that bridge was burned, but the Lord will rebuild it. You begin to apply your faith to those areas of your life. You get people in agreement with you. It doesn't change God. It doesn't change His Word. But it can change the impact with which we pray with. And so even as we're praying this morning together, this is why I believe that the Lord stirred this in my heart. It's because, you know, we have people that, come, that you can come up here and get prayed with, you know, every week. Say, if you have anything in your life that you need people to agree with you in prayer, this is why we do it. Why? Because we believe in the prayer of agreement. We believe that, that even more power is made available. It's one thing to pray by yourself, and we ought to. But there are also times 
that we need to hook up with other people and ask them to hook up their faith with us. And so that's why I had you write out a specific thing on a card. Why? So that when you walk up very quickly, they can look at your card and say, what are we believing for? And you don't have to explain it. You can just say, here's my card. This is the thing that we're believing God for this year. And we're going to continue to pray over these things. Even throughout the year. And just so you know, at any time, you can send us prayer requests. You can say, hey, here's the things that, you know, maybe you just get, you know, maybe it's June and you get a diagnosis from the doctor. And you say, hey, I don't, I don't accept this report. I'm not denying what they're saying, but I don't accept it as fact in my life. And so I'm going to believe what God's word says. Now I'm still going to walk in wisdom and walk in understanding. I'm not going to be foolish and call it faith. But I'm going to believe the Lord. I'm going to believe his word. And so, you know, even as we're doing this this morning, I would encourage you, even as moving forward, there may be things in your life. Let us know. And here's the other side of it. Let us know when you get your answer. You know, there's a, a, a hole in golf. I believe it's at the Masters. I can't remember exactly where it is. I think it's at Augusta. They call it prayer corner. Or actually, amen corner. Woo, hello. They call it amen. Woo, golly. Hello. Call it amen corner. Why? Because it's a green that sits. What just came on? Man. Is that you or me? Am I in the monitors or something? Holy cow. Um, Anyhow, it's called prayer corner, amen corner. Why? Because you hit the ball and you pray. Because you're having to hit it over a creek onto this little bitty green in the back corner that's got trees all around it. And many guys' hopes and dreams for winning that tournament have died at that corner. On the flip side, I remember a few years ago. I don't remember how many years ago this was. I think it was Bubba Watson. For those of you that watch golf, some of you know who that is. He's actually a believer. He had hit a terrible first shot. Terrible first shot. And he hit one on A-man corner. Like a shot you should not be able to make. He was definitely praying when he was swinging. Because that joker hit the green and rolled right up by the cup. Well, he ended up winning. He was behind at that point. He like picked up a stroker. I don't remember. It was something crazy. And he won. He's bawling like a baby because he won. You know, but we need to know when God answers. Why? Because it will build your faith. And the Bible actually says that what? That we have overcome the enemy by what? The blood of the Lamb and what? The word of our testimony. So it will do good not just for you but also for other people to know, hey, God's working, man. We've been praying and God answered. And God's moving on on our behalf. And just like God answered for them, the Bible says God's no respecter of person. He's going to answer for me. And so it will build people's faith. So let us know, uh, you know, even as God answers. And so this is my, my last little thought, if you will, for this series. And I've been saying it quite a few times. But I want to remind you with it. It's to make prayer your first priority in all things. Make prayer your first priority in all things. Let me say it another way. And I've been saying this specific phrase a lot. Pray first. Pray first. Pray a faith-filled prayer first. And you'll see God work and move on your behalf. Amen.